forever. Dog. Hey everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. Um, it's fall. Oh boy, what a fun year it's been, right? Um, I thought I would give a little update because I think my last one was real grim. The good news is nothing's getting better. Um, this is still very much the worst year um, that many of us can remember. And and if you've been listening to the writers panel episodes these past six months, six to eighteen months, um, you will hear that sentiment being expressed over and over again. And I guess the good news is that you're not alone. Uh, it feels impossible right now. Uh, people who should be working are not working. People who are trying to break in, it feels like it's dire. It feels like there's no hope. That's not true. There is always hope. I do genuinely believe that the biggest asset you can have in this business, whether you've broken in or whether you know you are continuing to break in or whether you are just sort of hoping to ride out this current situation, um, whatever that is, is tenacity. Uh, tenacity and talent will out. Um, on top of that, be a good person. If people like you, they're going to want to hire you. Do the work, be nice, and hang in there is kind of what it comes down to. I genuinely believe that's true. It's been an insane few years. Like We keep coming back to talking about how right now it is the worst it's ever been, and that's true. But things have been abnormal since at least 2019 when uh, we had the agency campaign, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And I think we were proven out that it was the right thing to do. But you know, we had a year without agents or over a year without agents. And then we had a pandemic and then we still have a pandemic. Uh, and then we have a bunch of new streamers who you know, are figuring themselves out along with the existing streamers who are figuring themselves out in a new landscape. Um, all of that creates uncertainty and that's a tough marketplace. It's a tough marketplace to sell anything in and it's a tough marketplace to try to get staffed in. I'm thrilled that people are getting staffed. I'm thrilled that people are selling shows. Uh, it really makes me so happy to see someone getting their first staffing job on a show uh, when I see that stuff pop up on Twitter. So let me know when that's you. You know, um, It really makes me feel good that people are getting their breaks um, and there's no reason that couldn't be you. Uh, keep at it. That's what we can do. Uh, it's going to be a quiet couple of months. Uh, I do believe that. Uh, there's always a flurry of activity at the end of the year. I'm sure this year will be no different, um, but it will also be wildly different. You know, it's it's such uncertain times. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to be quiet these next couple months and it's going to be difficult to get anything off the ground. So work on your scripts. That's the best thing you can do through early next year. Work on your scripts. Get your stuff done. It's what I'm trying to do. You know, we're out with a couple of pitches and we would love for someone to pick them up. Hey, if you're a buyer and you want to make a movie or TV show, let me know. We had stuff. Um, but mostly, you know, we're getting excited about working on new things. Um, we just keep churning out material because it seems like the best thing you can do, right? It's it's the only thing you can control. And then, you know, you worry about the market later. Um, write the thing that you think no one wants to see. I think on a recent episode, we sort of had that conversation that, you know, the shows we were talking about were shows that nobody wanted for years. Uh, and that the writer's representative said, don't write this, I can't sell it. Well, that's the thing to write now. Uh, nobody, Nobody's interested in a down the middle softball. I'm sure some people are, but it's, you know, it's hard to get excited about that stuff. Write the thing you love, write the thing you want to do, write the thing that is your voice, write the thing that only you can write. And then take stuff in, read stuff, read books, read novels, um, watch TV, watch the weird stuff, watch the stuff that everyone's talking about, watch the stuff that no one's talking about. Just get more input, fuel for the fire. Um, 
you know, that's why we ask at the end of every episode what everyone's watching on TV these days, because that stuff, you know, is input. Anyway, uh, I thank you for your continued listenership. Um, do me a favor, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let's talk about writing. It's I love doing it. I still love doing this show. I think we're up to 500 official episodes and we're actually well over 500 episodes unofficially. And if you do like the show, please do me a favor, leave a review on iTunes. It's really helpful for getting advertisers, which is the only way we can keep the show going. There's a lot of work involved with the show, especially because we can't go to the studio anymore. uh, And we're just doing this over various uh, interfacing platforms. So we we do need to pay engineers and stuff like that. So go leave a review on iTunes, please. That is really helpful. Um, keep listening. We have some cool stuff coming up. And as always, let me know on Twitter or on Facebook what shows you're watching and who else we should get for the podcast. I'm always looking for great new material to watch and great new writers to talk to. Until that's you. Yeah, that could be you. Come on. I love when I get new writers on the podcast and they say they've been listening to the show for, you know, five years. That is incredibly flattering and makes it feel worthwhile. So thanks. Come on the show. Go sell a show, then come on this show. All right. Uh, Enjoy this episode. It's a good one. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in time to die. Whenever the time is right, it's the writer's panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah. All right, we're doing it. This is how a podcast starts. Uh, <laughs> Prentice Penny, thanks so much for being here. Um, I was saying before, I've been trying to get you for years. This is this is the dream. Oh, so kind. I hope it lives up to my expectations. Oh God, that's so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably won't, but Just uh, but happy to be here for sure. Come on, um, I'm such a fan of yours, and I think you know. It started with Insecure, for sure. That's where I feel like I started seeing your name uh, constantly as a driving force behind that show, which, you know, we can say is a perfect show. Like, really? you guys are coming into, what, your fifth season? Yeah. Uh, fifth and final season. Yeah. And, like, there's barely been a misstep in the process. Um, and I imagine you have an incredible team on that. But let's talk about the early years yeah. of Insecure and just, like, how did you get involved why were you the guy to help bring this to the screen? Sure. Uh, I was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the time, and I was on the second season. It was I was on the first two seasons. And I at that point, I had kind of – I was a co-EP, so I was definitely ready to either, like, have my own show or make a move in some way. Um, I think at, the, at that up until that point, I had started my career on Girlfriends, and after Girlfriends was canceled, uh, it was our last seat anyway. But the writer strike kind of, kind of made it go faster. But I was the only. I went to what I would say my sort of like white show run, where I was on like a lot of great shows, but I was always the only African American person, and that just at a certain point became frustrating. It became very isolating. It became just not tough is the wrong word, but it was just like, I didn't understand why we would bring in new writers. And again, it'd be no more writers of color. And so I just was like, I just want to be around black people again. Like I I'm by myself a lot, you know? Um, And I had read that Larry Wilmore was leaving insecure. He got the nightly show, which was coming after the the daily show. And he wasn't going to be there to run it. And I, my mom had told me about Issa because we're both from the same neighborhood. I think she was like in New York in the, you know how the LA Times is like the LA Times Saturday magazine or something, like the small thin thing. And they did like a, a profile on her. And my mom was like, do you know her? And I was like, no, I've never heard of this woman. <laughs> She's like, well, she lives around the corner from us. She rushed it. And I was like, that doesn't mean I know her anymore. Uh, and, uh, um, but I had seen the, like the web series uh, and um I was just like everything that the pilot was talking about were things that I was had either ex- was experiencing in the present or in the past. Um, I had worked at a nonprofit like ESA. I knew what it was like. I was currently the only one in the room, like a lot of black people in their spaces. The higher up you go, um, and it just was super funny. And it was speak. It was unapologetically black and unapologetically also LA and the neighborhood I also grew up in. So um, my agent went to college with ESA. 
Um, and I also knew Lena Waithe, who knew her, because Lena and I worked together on Girlfriends. Lena was an assistant when I was on that staff. And oh, so wow. she was like, I was like, can you tell her just like to meet with me or whatever? She was like, yes. Yeah. So I wrote her up, Issa, a letter about like why I thought I'd be a good like showrunner for her uh, and I, why, what I connected to. And, um, and then I was here to help, even if she didn't want to go with me, you know? And we sat, we actually met for like 15 minutes. She was at a book signing and we just started making each other laugh like really quick. And within 15 minutes, it was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And uh, we definitely did not, oh, we underthought it a lot. We definitely didn't overthink this move. Uh, we had no, <laughs> we didn't, looking back, we both said, we probably should have asked her more questions, but it just felt right in our, in the, in our, in my gut. And um, mm-hmm. it was also a, a time where creatively I felt, you know, at the time, most of the shows were still network shows. You know, obviously there was HBO and Showtime and stuff, but certainly the streamers hadn't come on strong yet as content yeah. uh, type places. And so you, you were making a certain kind of show after a while. And I just felt like creatively, I want to try different things, play with tone. Um, and I felt I felt stagnant is not the right word, but that's the closest word that I can describe. And I just for it was a in going to do insecure was a good reminder that we all got into this business to play and to be creative and to have fun without the and the business stuff can always get in the way. But it was one of the moves where like I wasn't guaranteed to like run the show just because I did the pilot. I was making a very small, hmm. like a super small amount of money. And that and I was walking away from like a lot of money. You know, certainly a well and I had a family. So like staying would not be wrong of me to stay to support my family. But I just was like, creatively, I got to like, something in my gut is like saying, I didn't know what it was going to be, obviously, but something in my gut was like, you're not having fun being playful anymore. And that was like a good reminder of like, trust your gut and never forget that this is supposed to be fun. And if it starts to not feel like fun, then like something's wrong in the process. And um, not that it's not hard, but that creative energy, like when you ask a kid, a kid who's four, why he made the cactus pink. He doesn't give you a big philosophy behind. He's just like, that's just what it felt. I don't know. I felt like I wanted to be. And I wanted that feeling again of like being creative without the like thinking things a ton of way through of criticizing myself in the process of creating, which you can do a lot. At least certainly I felt in the network space where you sort of felt like, oh, well, it has to do it and it has to that. And you you don't even you're just so boxed in by the moment you're being creative. And I just was like, I, I want to get out from this for a second. And it was the best decision I made, just even from that standpoint, even if the show had just done one season, yeah. you're not, you don't know like what's going to happen when you make your show, right? You can only trust the process. You know, there are so many great shows that just don't see the light of day after one or two seasons, just because of, for whatever reason, it has nothing to do with how good the show and the talent is. Um, like I offered reference Party Down as like such a funny and brilliant show, but just stars was like, we're not doing comedies anymore. So like, that's not Party Down's fault. It's just like, that's, they're not doing that. You know what I mean? But you look at that cast and who's making that show, people are brilliant. So you just can't control the outcome. You can only control the process. And so that was just a good reminder of like, just have fun in the, in the process. I think that, and that's great advice for anyone listening too. is like, that should apply to your spec scripts, to your sample scripts, whatever you're working on. Like it has to be the thing that excites you. Um, You, you hit on a few, a few things I want to sort of dig into. Um, but one of them is this, like, just six years ago was a different time in television. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think, like, shows like Insecure, and there are a few of them at that time, were a little bit ahead of the curve and therefore not a sure thing in that it has this very distinct voice. It's not a network voice, but it's yeah. not, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't what AMC was doing either. Right. Because yeah. it's a comedy. Yeah. Um Let's talk a little bit about that and like finding the voice of the show, which isn't exactly what the web series was either. It's yeah. a, it's a it's its own thing. Yeah, Issa was very clear that she didn't want to recreate the web series as uh, as a as a scripted show, and I think that's what took some time. I think she had been developing it for two years at HBO, and I think maybe initially the thought was like letting it be a workplace comedy, but like you know she works at the nonprofit and blah blah blah. And then I think in the process, Casey Blois, who's the president of HBO, and Amy Gravitt were like, 
the stories, and I think Issa would just talk about her friends. And I think in the course of that, in the development process, they realized that the friends and that life is much more interesting than the we than the nonprofit life. And I think that also what I think that also allows is that it allowed that Issa's it allowed for blackness to be the driver of the story and not how is this woman surviving a white space, right? Which would typically be like if it was an NBC type show, you would go, oh, that's the thing, right? Not, hey, we want to dive into this other area of your life, right? That is much more rich uh, and, and things that we haven't seen before. So I think for us, it was always like, okay, you know, once she was clear about that, then it became, okay, well, let's continue to play with tone. Let's like, let it be much more. We always say that like, if, if with the web series is like high school, then the show is college. It's like, it's a little bit more grown up. It's a little bit more sophisticated. It's a, it's much more cinematic, obviously plays with tone a lot more. And because the show is the, the, the series is longer, you know, her web show with every episode would be like six to eight minutes. So there's like so much you can dive into and like, that amount of time versus having 28, 29 minutes of screen time, you can tell just deeper and, 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 you know, more rich stories. So I think that, and also having a character like Molly, right. Which is different in the web series juxtaposes all of that energy. Right. And it does a very different thing. So, um, so for us, it was always about like, we would reference a lot of like Scorsese and Spike and things like that of, of, of filmmakers who made New York, you know, Woody Allen, who made New York like come alive as a character. And until that point, at least on TV, certainly on HBO, you had only seen Entourage. So your LA is like, it's easy to make Malibu. That's the (laughs) thing that everybody knows, Beverly Hills, Hollywood. That's a very, it's easy to make that sexy, right? But we were like, we want to make the same way Spike did Brooklyn and that we wanted to make our neighborhoods. Because typically on film, you see our neighborhoods that you know oh it's a concrete wherever black people live it's a concrete jungle which is like not true that's like a specific part of la but there's a ton of black people that live in view park lamar park crenshaw where it's like working up to an upper middle class doctors and lawyers that have beautiful homes and beautiful environments and we wanted to show that part so that was always our thing was like this is the grown-up version of that um and the maturity of that so that was always a thing that we wanted to do and continue to play with tone and you know all that stuff yeah, that's really cool. Um, because it does like the reference points are cinematic. And I think the show has a cinematic both look and feel to it, even when the stories can be so small and so personal. Yeah. Um, were there growing pains in that first season? Oh, at, yes. Like a lot of the sort of the structure was in place, right? Like because the pilot existed when you came on. Yeah. Um, but again, you you guys didn't really know each other. So. No, and the pilot is... Well, the pilot is also very like the pilot is one of the only episodes that has any voiceover. That was in the pilot, and then there's no more. Oh, funny. We go away. We don't. We were like, we don't want to do voiceover. We tried to cut as much voiceover out in the pilot as possible, um, but we just needed some for connective tissue. But we we knew immediately we were getting rid of the voiceover. So that was one thing. Um, when, some of the growing pains in the beginning were just like, from a writing standpoint, some of the growing pains were just like getting our page count right, right, because you don't really know yet. You haven't hmm. filmed it. So a lot of our pages would be like 32, 33 pages of script. But what we, what we, but what we didn't realize were, yeah, we're like, because we have a lot of moments where it's like we're creating a vibe. Like Issa just walks into the room and just like oh, reads a book, right, and listens to music or like checks a text. But we're trying to create a feel. So what we didn't realize was like, even though this might be like one eighth of a page, Issa walks into a room, reads a book, opens a text, is in her feelings, Frank Ocean starts. And that's just like one eighth of a page. <laughs> To light that, to film that, takes three and a half hours. So, like, that takes the same amount of time if we had a three-page scene where characters are just sitting around talking. And that would eat up so much screen time, but it takes the same amount of film time as something that's going to be on screen for, like, 30 seconds. So that that was one of the biggest things, was, like, trying to gauge, okay, not knowing at all, oh, this is going to take three or four hours to light. Um, because you're also lighting, like, one's shot and then you're lighting another shot and then another shot but she's not saying anything so it's not it's not really eating up page count at screen time so oh my god yeah. so that was one of the biggest learning things was just getting our page count down because then we'd end up having to cut you know cut five six minutes and that's a day right so then you add up all those days that's like yeah. so much that's you know two or three million four million dollars that we just like wasted so that was like one thing 
you know, just getting our our film days down, you know, realizing that, like, I think the first season we were going over, we were always at 14 to 15 hour days. Like, always. Like, I feel, the Ayasi thing is real. I was like, hey, <laughs> give them whatever they want. That, that, 100%. That was crazy. But we didn't know. We were just still figuring this show out. Um, yeah. A lot of the shows in the beginning was figuring out the writer's room, which was how much do we like parse out story? That was one of the bigger things in the beginning was like tone. What stories do we want to see? What's our arc? And so like in the beginning, I remember we had like episode three was like Issa, which we like episode three in this show is a beach day episode where she's like taking the kids to the beach. Mm -hmm. But in the originally we had, there was like a little, there was like a, there was a, a young little Issa at We Got Y'all. In, in the in the kids program and because she was going through her thing with lawrence we were like tethering this this little isa is like also going through something and it's not until isa sees little isa that she's her and we were just like we don't want to see kids like that in the show not at all so it was like things like that where we would like break and also it was just trying to figure out like what we were building to so the arc of the first season was yeah. really uh she cheats on daniel was the end of the season because that felt like the most like oh wow but then when HBO heard it, they were like, hey, all the good stuff you guys are doing at the end, move that up, like accelerate that. And we were like, but we don't have anything <laughs> after after that. <laughs> and they were like, you don't have anything in front of it. This is all treading water. <laughs> and and it was a good, and they were right. You know, they were right. Like it was the, it, yeah. what we realized was like, oh, she cheats halfway through. Now it's like paint yourself in a corner. Now what's the fallout? And then that became very clear as like the thing, like let's, paint them into a corner for the first half of the season and let's deal with that. Um, so if you look at a lot of the, a lot of the mm -hmm. like midway points of the season, a lot of them like uh, in the block party, Issa and Molly have their fight in, at the block party. That's like the, so then the second half of that is like dealing with the fallout of that season three. The, the thing is Lauren shows back up. Okay. Now when she's with Nathan, like that's mm -hmm. a thrust. So it was always like giving us a midway point to like thrust to the second half of the season um and so that's why cheating on daniel became the halfway point of season one so th those were a lot of their like i think early on we also wrote pops like flashbacks and pops and it was like that's we had wrote like a few pops of like funny and it was like you can't even see that now in our show but like that's what it there were pops because you're like oh that's funny but it just never felt like our show and Issa was like these pops don't feel like our no. show and i was like you're right they don't <laughs> um but it was just like we wanted to try stuff but it was again it was to the point of like let's try like let's see you know it's like okay well because we were wrong about voiceover we knew voiceover was so that it made us just question everything of like in a, in a good way hmm. of like well there was voiceover we threw that out should there be pops should there not be pops you know because we were just trying to find like we knew ways it would be dramatic but we were all trying to find ways to have comedy um in the show and so but it was also a good reminder like just because you pitched it and try it it's horrible lose it you know so <laughs> yeah. it was like just a good thing of like just don't be precious about all your ideas if it doesn't it just trust your gut it doesn't feel right and like fuck it try something else you know what i mean like it was just a like not being so tight it was just a fun yeah that first season obviously had a lot of stressors just because we're like trying to get the show up but it was i don't think about those things when i think back about the season i just think about all the fun mm -hmm. we were having in the room and it was just so playful and fun oh that's amazing <laughs> Tell me about that room. Uh, who who populated it? Where'd you find your writers? What were you looking for? Yeah, initially, so uh, what I was looking for was I, I think that I had, you know, coming off of um, my experiences in rooms, I felt that a lot of times it would be like five or six white guys from Harvard and then me. And I really was already like, why do we need six? <laughs> Could we just do three and give like me and then like maybe hire somebody who's Indian, just like get it, just like take those three, we got those three, so we're good. <laughs> and they're like, let's pepper with some other energy. Uh, so for But me, they were in different houses at Harvard, right, so they have right, different perspectives. Right. They were different, right, the Gryffindors and that. Uh, <laughs> right. but, um, and they were all great guys, it's not like a slam that it was always, yeah. just, I just knew I wanted like a, a, a wide array of things. Cause for me, it was like, when you think about like, this is super corny, but I use it as a reference. Like when you think about the Avengers, there's not like six Iron Men. <laughs> there's like an Iron Man. And then there's like a Black Widow and a Captain America. There's a whole, everybody brings something unique and specific to the team. And that's really what I was like, I was telling you, so that's what we need. We need different voice. Because a lot of agents were like, 
like looking their chops like this is my time to send my weird black writers and i was like and they would send me she's like isa she's like isa and i'd be like i don't need another writer like isa i have isa i don't i want a voice i want voices that will be like contrary but complimentary and also right not reinforcing that's what i knew i didn't want because i was like i have isa why do i need like four people that think like her right and for me it was like and for us it was like let's assemble like people that are different than you like grew up different, raised different, different life experiences, different economic experiences, different schools, different just life experiences. And so we hired obviously comedy writers, but we hired drama writers too. We had three, we had like three drama writers. We had, you know, writers who were obviously at various levels, but certainly writers who were gay, obviously straight, single, married, and just obviously different kinds of black women, like writers, like some writers who were just brilliant with story, right? But I also wanted writers that were also looking to be like, give me jokes, like nonstop. You pitch me a bunch of funny things. Then I, I wanted also writers that were kind of dark and different because the show has a lot of darker, weird kind of off elements. Um, and also having writers who would be like big idea writers who could just like, when I was reading their scripts, like sometimes like it wasn't done perfectly, but the concept was so like big and like, interesting that i was just like wow that'd be great to like take the show kind of outside the box just so people would be pitching other things and so and obviously it's not saying that nobody everybody was funny like everybody was had great skills in all those areas but for me it was like what do you i wouldn't know the main thing i wanted was no repetitive voices in the room so if i felt like if i have i don't look at that staff and go oh like laura kittrell is just like amy and yogi or Natasha Rothwell is just like Dana Lynn North, right? Or Phil Jackson is just like, you know, Grace Edwards. Like nobody was ever like a copied voice. No person was ever like, oh, they're kind of similar. None. So that was a big thing for me. And 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 wanting just people that were smarter than me, more talented than me, that I was in awe. When I read their script, I was like, damn, why didn't I write this? This is brilliant. Like, why didn't I write this? You know? Um, and that was really like what how we tried to assemble the room. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, that is, that's the way you do it, right? Like that's how you get a show, uh, with complexity and nuance. Um, it seems to me like looking at the stuff you've done from Insecure and then, you know, you teamed up with Sam J and then the stuff that's sort of been announced that you're working on. Um, it feels like there's something in you that wants to help foster talent and like, you're a good scout. And I think that that's an underrated skill, you know, um, tell me a little bit about that and like where that comes from and what you see as your role in those relationships and shepherding projects. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, you want to pay it forward. Like people like Barb Rockakeel and, and Karen just that runs our kind of people and Regina Hicks who runs the Upshaws on Netflix. Like when I was starting out, they just like, looked out for me and took care of me yeah. um, and put me in positions to succeed. And so my thing is like, and I, and I after leaving that show, uh, which I kind of call like my like HBCU experience where everybody's so supportive of you and wants you to win that I was by myself a lot. And I was like, I never want writers to have to go. I would never want any writers that I can help to have to go through this. This is horrible. Um, and again, great shows, great people. I don't like, look, those are all great moments, but the experience of being the only one I was like, this sucks and like, nobody should have to do this. Um, and so like, and, I, and that's the blessing of our show, right? Is like, you know, Issa will never know what it's like to be the only black writer in a room. Cause she just like jumped a bunch of steps, right? By the success of the show. So if I, so if I had to go through something so she doesn't have to, or the writers on my staff are getting promoted faster than what I got promoted, that's kind of the point, right? And so um, for me, it's just always about like, and also I just wanted to that point around Brooklyn, I, what I also realized was like, you know, life's too short. You just, I just want to work with like dope people, like creative dope people. And, it, and, and whether that's Sam or Issa or all the writers, like I'm doing various things with, I was just like, yeah, I want to just work with like dope people. And like, cause then dope things will happen um, and things will be fun to do. Um, and you have to put the same amount of effort yeah. to write a bad script as you do to write a good script. The same <laughs> amount of work, you know, like you don't know at the time you're just still doing it. Um, you know, I challenge any person who makes a movie to go, I don't know if this is good or bad. It's, I still got to get up and like put, put this two by up and like, do, you know, it's like the same process. It just, one is good, one isn't, but it's the same process to make. Um, and so for me, it's just like, I just would rather um, do that. So for me about like shepherding other voices and being around 
that is super important. And I think to the point you're, I think that energy, right, lends, I hate talking about myself like this, but I think that energy of like wanting to be around. what we're here for. <laughs> but I think the energy of wanting to be around those people takes the ego out um, to mm-hmm. where I don't need to be like the best person in the room or smarty. Like that doesn't matter. What matters is like, oh, what's what's the art that's going to come out of this? So like, so when I'm looking at writers or looking at talent, what I'm looking for isn't how I can shine off of this. I go like, oh, how can we play together? And, you know, it's like when two kids meet and they go, you want to play? And you're just like, yeah, because there's no like, <laughs> yeah. there's no like agenda. It's just like playing is the agenda. And so I think like that in and of itself allows you to see people's greatness without it worrying if it dims your light. You know, um, yeah. and so I, when I've watched, I try to, as a producer, I've tried to just listen to more people that are actually a lot of things about people who are record producers. And I think what I watched is really great documentary about like Quincy Jones and there's one on Clarence Avon called the black Godfather on Netflix. And it's really great because it's also oh, yeah. like an ability to like listen to people and see people and see like, how does that fit together? Like Jimmy Iovine talks about that all the time too, of like, Oh, I heard Dre and I was like, I'm going to, or like, even people who used to work with like, I don't know, the Fleetwood Mac or all these cream, all these people that Jimmy Ivey worked with like back in the day. You're just like, yeah, I just thought like putting with this thing would like yield something kind of interesting. You know what I mean? And you're just like, I think that's it, right? It's like when I listen to like Quincy Jones, he's talking about just like, yeah, I just like wanted to put this jazz thing with like Michael Jackson off the wall and just see like, what would come out of that? You know, like, and I think that's the thing, right? It's just trying to like try and be willing to play. And I think that, in and of itself is kind of what yields the thing that you're talking about. I, yeah, I love that. I feel like it's so often about like, how can I bring out the best in this person I'm excited about, this idea I'm excited about, whatever it is, and like, what 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 do I have to throw into that? Yeah. And I'll try this, and if that works, great. But if not, let's, you know, how do we keep yes. that vision? Uh, how do we keep that and get it to the screen or wherever it is? Yeah, I try, I try, um, I'm trying, I, and, this yeah. is a, and I think so much of this is like, not even business related. I think I'm, I'm trying to like, as a person, as a human being, we're so like afraid, especially things the way now, social media, we're so afraid to like fail publicly. And I've had a failure, like a failure, not even publicly, but I had a failure where I was like fired off two projects, like back to back, right before Insecure. And I, it really messed with my confidence because I was like, what? Damn, like I got replaced. And like, it really messed with me for like two years. It, it, like, and I still did sure. Insecure. And, and it wasn't that the success of Insecure like fixed it. Because it wasn't about that. It was about me. And it was I had to like be like, that's kind of not the point. And like, you know, it's okay. Like, that's fine. You know, a, a baseball player hits 30%, goes three for 10, <laughs> and he's in the Hall of Fame. So like, that's, you know, it's like, so it's not about that. It was just like, yeah, if you give your all to it and it doesn't work out, like, that's okay. That's like an okay thing to happen. Um, and I try to teach my kids that, but I wasn't also living by that. And so um, sure. I'm trying to like, just kind of get back in that frame of mind of like, you try stuff, some things will work, some things won't work, but you just try um, and, and to be as creative as possible and leave it on the table. Yeah. I mean, and it's, that's the best attitude to have, right? But when you're in it, especially when you're younger, like it's so hard, there's yeah. so much rejection in this business For and there's sure. so much isolation, like you talked about. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go, you know, too dark, but let's go back to that, <laughs> those early years. Um, and sort of like finding your way in telling other people's stories, I guess. Right. Because that's the job yeah. of the staff writer. That's the job of someone who's working on a sitcom. You're doing 20, 25 episodes yeah. a year. Yep. Um, let's let's talk about that stuff and sort of like it looks like girlfriends and that that was the early that was my that was first. the earliest that was stuff, like first right? out the gate. Yep, yeah, that was the first. And then I went And that seems like it was a great experience. It was awesome. It was awesome. Like 80% of what I do as a showrunner, I, I learned from Mara on that show. Uh, Cause it's like your parents. I've heard that from other writers too. She's great. She's amazing. And you know, and it's yeah. like your parents, it's like you either your parents raise you. And if you have a great relationship with them, you either kind of copy what they did, or if you have a horrible, you like go the complete opposite. So it's like your first, <laughs> you know, cause I had writers that started on other shows and they would be like kind of traumatized by that. Like if you, if you're on a show and your first show is like late hours, you just think that's what it is. You, so you just do it yeah. right. Without even thinking like, do I have to do this? Um, so it was like so much of what I learned was just super positive and super productive. 
Um, and then I went to, I'm trying to think, I went to a show called Do Not Disturb, which is the first show I went to. Uh, and, and like your eyebrows for a ring is exactly what America thought as well. <laughs> um, how do people watch it? What was that? Uh, it was, so it was the first white show I went to. And it wasn't the show's fault. It was a really great writer, Abraham Higginbotham, who like off of Arrested Development and Modern Family, super talented guy. Um, and it was like a small show. It was a it was a show in a hotel. Again, you just don't know stuff because like in between that, it, it was a uh, like Jesse Tyler Ferguson was on that show. Nisi Nash was on that show. Dave Franco was on that show. So there's so you don't know like you know, and so many great like writers like John Quaintance. Um, Kirk Rudell, um, it's like so many like talented people were on that show, like Elaine Coe, who I think won an Emmy for, for oh, Modern yeah. Family. Um, so, but it was the first time that I was like the only one after a long period. Of, uh, I then like, then I sort of went on a run between like Scrubs and um, Happy Endings and do, and uh, Breaking In, which was like a weird mid, a mid-season show that was on Fox um, mm-hmm. and then Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And then, um, so yeah, so that was sort of the run of shows and and to that point you are sort of like when i felt like, like you don't always know what things in life will prepare you for later so like when i was growing up when my parents divorced my mom is a, a judge so she grew up very um everybody on my mom's side super like college educated secondary degrees very much in that vein and my dad's side's from oklahoma very like no colleges all self-made entrepreneurs right so my dad, when, when they divorced, my dad was like, I only want him doing things with black people all the time. And my mom was like, if it's white, it's right. And I want him to do things with white people because that's how he also has to move to the world. So they had this weird, they had this weird uh, uh, agreement, which was if I went to a black school, then in the summer, I had to play sports with white kids or go summer camp with white kids <laughs> and vice versa. So my elementary school was black because it was around the corner from my house. And so, you know, we're listening to, like, it's an early rap. So it's like Run DMC, Curtis Blow, LL Cool J, very early rap. But I would go to this white summer camp in the Valley, and I was the only black kid. And they listened to, like, B-52s and, like, Culture Club and, like, Flock of Seagulls and Kacha Gugu. And, and I was like, I don't know any of this music. And then I had to learn white music all summer. And then, but, but then I, would, I wasn't listening to black to, like, rap. And so I'd go back to school, and I'd be like, hey, do you guys know who the Bengals are? And my friends would be like, get the fuck out of here. And that was my whole life for, like, seven years was, like, being in one group, always behind. And, um, and then when I got to film school, a very similar thing. Like, I was the only black writer in my film writing program at USC in film school. So I had to lo- learn how to like thrive and have success in the same way that I did in the summer camp. And so what I didn't, what you don't know is like, oh, this skill set, which is a sad skill set to have, but to be able to like not be rattled by being the only one and still doing the things you have to do and like learning and all the white shit that I learned, I can apply to these writers' rooms. I'm like, oh, I know. I've been... <laughs> I've been to bar mitzvahs and stuff because, like, that's what when I, all my white friends at summer camp, like, I would go to theirs, and so I was like, "Yeah, I know what this is. Like, I know this music. I know these reference. Like, I know all, everything you're talking about. I know, but I didn't know, you know. But you don't know how that's so. It, when I was in these rooms, of as, as like sad as it was to be the only one, it didn't like bug me or bother me. I was like, "Oh, I, this is I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable, sadly, being the only right. one. I wish I wasn't, but I'm not." threatened by it or like think I'm gonna like wilt or not mm-hmm. know how to like do what I gotta do here right and so um but again you don't know how these like life other things are gonna like help you in another area so that's kind of what it was like so I kind of it never it bothered me for different reasons it didn't bother me in terms of still yeah. needing to succeed obviously that's wild it's it feels like it's you know it's more disappointing than it is like it than if than it was personal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and you learn so many great things on different shows. Obviously, like I learned sure. so much of uh, things I still do from all those writers, and we're I'm still friends with all those guys. So, um, yeah, those were great runs. But it also opened my eyes yeah. up to like there's a different world uh, than what conversations when I was on Girlfriends. Like when I was on Girlfriends, no writer was talking hmm. about having overall deals. No writer was talking about pilots. Huh. And then the second I got to that world, it was like, oh, should I do another overall deal with this? Should I do? And I was like, I was hearing conversations I just was not hearing there. And wow. that was like, oh, okay. It was almost like the Negro Leagues and the Major Leagues. It's like Jackie Robinson getting called up. And you're like, oh, okay. There's different conversations I'm, I'm hearing and participating in. 
And then those things started to yield to me, right? It just really showed me like, once you start to get like those people to vouch for you, at least then, now obviously things are different, but at least certainly then it was like, oh, that's really how I got on Scrubs was like, I had, I had worked on different white shows and Bill like asked an exec at ABC, who do you really like? And this guy said Prentice. And that's how I got on Scrubs, which is then how I got Happy Endings because Jonathan Groff was helping to run that. And he started to run Happy Endings. And he was just like, I didn't even have to interview. He was like, you want a job? And I was like, I like this. This white world is great. <laughs> is this what y'all been doing? Is this why y'all get down? This, this is amazing. I wish that was the case. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. So you touched on your parents, and I think it's really interesting. Um, and like, there's something about the hustle of making it in this business and sort of like doing the jobs and trying to meet people and all that stuff. And it sounds like your parents both really had that work ethic. And even if they, you know, sort of applied things in different ways, how did they prepare you or were you prepared for the like getting your feet wet in this business at the very beginning, right out of film school? Yeah, I didn't get a job for nine years. So I it took nine wow. years for me to get my first thing. Uh, some of it was self-sabotage. Some of it was like, I'm still figuring out like what I want to do. Like at the time it was like TV was, I mean, TV, even when I started mm -hmm. TV was still this way, but it was much more the stepchild to, to, to like to movies, you know, it was the, it was yeah. the Jam Brady to films, Marsha. And, uh, and so, you know, I wanted to do movies, right? That was the thing, right? It wasn't, and USC didn't offer like a ton of TV writing programs like they do now. So it was like, it, I think there were like two TV classes. So it wasn't even like kind of a theater into like, it was like movies, you know? And so, um, but the way my parents prepared me, I think is like a lot of African-American parents in America, which is like, you have to work 110% harder than your white counterparts and that you just do for the same thing. And so that, you know, just sticks with you and you're just like, yeah, I got to, grind this out like i watched my like like my dad was an entrepreneur with our he had a he had a, our family had a furniture store on that side and my mom was a lawyer who then became a judge and so like there was no like no you're going to college you're gonna go, like there's no like debate it's just you that's what it is yeah. um and so yeah so that was obviously in me but then you still have so i would say that prepared me more than anything that like anything that you want is going to be like that you really want is a marathon right and this business is really a war of attrition it really is a this business will sift the wheat you know a lot of people i talk to people about times they're like i want to be a writer and i'm like but what kind of writer because you can also be a writer where you're at and like write plays and do that you don't everything doesn't have to be at this level and it's not a knock it's just that it's just the business isn't for everybody. And that's like fair. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, it, it can be heartbreaking. It can be, it's hard. It's, it's hard to get in and it's hard to stay. And, um, and so that was the thing in the beginning. I think I was just very, to the point I was saying earlier about fear, I think I was really afraid in the beginning and I would work hard enough to make it seem like I was working hard enough to succeed, but I wasn't, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was working hard enough to make it have like a nice failure. Uh, because I was really afraid. I was like, what if I try this and I got to be in a writer's room with other writers and I think, I, and I realized I'm not good enough. Like I'm not talented enough. Like that would just crush me. So I'd always work hard enough to like, just get there and just do enough to like be close, but not like go in all the way. And it really wasn't until my wife, who was my uh, girlfriend at the time was like, what are we doing? Like, there's no, there's no plan B. We're going to go all in plan A. So like, you need to get this together. And I did, I had to like humble myself and like go back to like, I took UCLA extension classes about how to write just sitcoms and I would just write them, write them. Write. So I, that was embarrassing, right? I was like, I have a film degree, but I gotta go back to school like yeah. and, and telling people that. And like, I was working uh, as a teacher. So I wasn't even working in my field, but I had to pay the bill. So it, but what it did do was grow me up. It was really like, okay, you gotta grow up as a man in a different way than like, uh, then like you can't do this anymore. Like you gotta, you gotta be a grown up now, uh, or st or stop playing, you know, or get out. And yeah. so it was a real like those two years were like I was like okay I I earned you know I was working at a nonprofit which is but I didn't realize again to the point of how you don't know <laughs> I was like working part time at a nonprofit 
but obviously I didn't know that was going to yield. It yielded me money at the time, but it also yielded me the experience to know what that looks like. And, and yeah. it was embarrassing to tell people. Like they knew what I wanted to do and it was embarrassing to tell people, you know, but it wasn't about that anymore. It was about if you want it, go for it. It doesn't matter. And, you know, now that seems so long ago, you know, that was almost 20 years ago now. But uh, at the time, you're just like, I got to humble myself and, you know. And it does feel like it feels like humbling yourself, yeah. right? Because you're, you know, you're younger, you're, you have great expectations uh, of yourself yeah. and of what, what the world owes you, things like that. A hundred percent. It's and, tough. It's and, really tough. Especially when you think that like, I've done the, I've done the, I've done the steps. Like now give me the mm-hmm. thing, right? Which I think is like, I try to tell my kids, like, you're not promised anything by doing the steps. What you're promised is that you're learning about work ethic and you're learning this. But a lot of times we raise our kids to go, you do this, you do this, you go to college, you get a good job, you get married. Like, no, that's not true. Like, that's, but that's, but it's not until you go through it. So I don't even tell my kids now, like, oh, when you get married or when you, because I'm like, I don't know, maybe not get married. I don't want to put that on them. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like the way that it was like, it wasn't put on me, but you just talk that way. You don't really realize how your words have power in your word. Like I have a friend of yeah. mine who's like was his parents were talking about are you gonna be a doctor? You're gonna be a doctor. And when he got to college, halfway through he was like, I don't want to be a doctor. Why am I a doctor? Why am I he was like, well, because I was told I was supposed to be a doctor. And you know what I mean? So it's like, but you don't question it as you're going through. You're just like, I'm supposed to get A's and B's and blah, blah, blah. and you what I realized was like a lot of times we can also raise people and I believe I was raised in some of this as to be a professional student, but not to be a thriving mm-hmm. adult. And those were things, those things are independent of each other, right? And so, um, and it wasn't until yeah. I had to do these things on my own. And and and, and it was difficult too, because my wife was like a, a lawyer. She was like making real money and like actually is doing her career. And, you know, it's like, oh, here's my, here's my fiance. He's a substitute teacher, but he wants to be a writer. You know, it's like, you know how those, you know how those things go. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> The other uh, growing up thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, a lot of my friends who grew up in L.A. were like so separate from the movie and TV industry. Like they just had no concept of it. But it seems like you were already a fan. And was that always the path for you? Did you know that's what you wanted to do? Uh I didn't, weirdly, I didn't know anybody in the business. I just, you know, you drive around right. and you see people that were like, I think the only connection I had was like, my cousin by marriage was one of the prices, right, girls? Um, that was like the extent <laughs> of, like, of like, who I knew in the business. Uh, so you can count that for what it's worth. Great contact. Uh, it's a great yeah, contact. Great, great contact. Bob Barker, just like, if I could <laughs> write those bids. Um, but uh <laughs> Uh, I wanted to do, I mean, I loved television growing up as a kid. Um, and I, I think a lot of it, I was, I was, my dad's side of the family, super funny. So it was always around funny people. Um, and then, uh, at the time my grandparents, my parents were divorced and my mom would work like long hours going to, to law school at night. And then my dad was, I wasn't, uh, we joined custody. So some days I just wouldn't see him. Um, uh, but my grandparents, uh, would pick me up. And these aren't like grandparents today where they're like, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm doing TikToks. It was like my grandparents were very old school, <laughs> sit in front of the TV, watch news at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, then, you know, Will of Fortune at seven, you know, Jeopardy at 730. It was like, we're not playing yep. with you. We're not going out playing catch. Like, we're not doing that. And so a lot of times I'd be sitting in front of a TV, either like I could watch with them or watch in the other room. And so TV was like this other parent or this other like big brother. Uh, so certainly that was a thing I, I was gravitating to, but I didn't, and it really wasn't until um, Spike Lee used to make these books and they were real was great about these books where it would almost be like a journal of like his process of making, like she's got to have it her school days. And then inside the book would be like mm-hmm. a script, it'd be like pictures. And it was his whole process from like coming up with it till release. And so you're, you know, as a 14 year old kid, I'm reading about Sherry Lansing and like, all these like people who are like heads of studios, but I'm like, I don't know who people are, but like you're learning his process of like how he was making the movie. And they were just super like interesting. And I was like, this is like, um, I went to either be a marine biologist because I loved animals and I love water <laughs> or a, a filmmaker. <laughs> and then around, and then I was really like, not quite sure until high school. And then um, a friend of mine gave me this flyer for USC was having like this, 
high school film program for like two weeks in the summer. And you got to like live on campus. You got to like make little movies and write little movies with like other kids from around the country. It was like 20 kids. And you got to like be in class with like film professors. And it was, um, it was like, once I left that week, those two weeks, I was like, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, And that was 1990. I remember that I took that class. And so that was, um, and yeah. it hadn't looked back. I was like, oh, you know, fuck those seals. I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> I don't care about the animals in the ocean. I can't help. There's only so much I can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I going to do? Like, BP's got oil. I don't know what to do. I can't do it. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, and you were sort of like, it seems like you had the focus to at least like pull the levers to start making that happen. Yeah. Obviously, it takes a long time, but there had been a demystification of the process through like those Spike Lee notebooks, through just watching TV. I think that's really neat. Especially now, especially now. I want to ask you about um, directing. Um, was that always part of it? Was that, I mean, it seems like that must've been a part of yeah, it. Yeah, I definitely wanted to, uh, direct, and that was part of the thing was like, you know, a lot of, I, when I talk to a lot of students, I'm like, like, I want to act and I want to direct and I want to write. And I'm like, you can do all of that, but you can't do all of this sometimes at the same time. So I was kind of that same thing of like, well, I want to have like a couple feet in the directing thing. And, but at, at least for my journey, I'm not saying that's everybody's journey, but I at least had to like pick a lane initially just so you can give that something more of your focus. Right. And so, um, so writing just became the thing that I could do. And I, in my heart, I'm always a writer, but directing was always something that I love to do. And so obviously being able to do it on Insecure and on Cork was, was just like uh, certainly a natural extension of that, but something I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Did it feel, did Uncorked feel like, did it feel like taking on a much bigger project because it's a feature rather than working with presumably new crew, new actors, everything? A hundred percent. I mean, there were so many things that I was glad that I didn't direct Uncorked before I got to direct on Insecure. There were so many things I learned just watching a bunch of other directors who were great and like learning things and like just watching that process more. Uh, but a movie is its own animal and I didn't know like what to expect in the beginning, but like by day two, like, cause I used to always hear like directors, like you'd hear about the director, you go like, oh, that director's like a, a jerk. He's an asshole. And I would be like, oh yeah, that yeah, yelling. And then by the end, by, by day three, I was like, get that fucking thing over here. Like, let's go. Like, I don't have time to like, cause on a TV show, you're much more like collaborative. You're much more like, we're going to be back here. If we don't get it today, we can come back tomorrow. We can put it back in the schedule. When you're making a movie, it's like, I'm never coming back to this restaurant. This is it. So, and I've got two hours because yeah. I'm only going to have this actor for eight days. So there's no more coming back to get this, right? This actor's got to go do another movie. So it, like the, all the like ways I would be much more tactful, uh, a lot of that got chucked out of the way. And I was like, look, I'm trying to push this rock up the hill. You're either helping me. Or you're getting out of the way, but there's no like question about the debate of what we're doing. Like in TV show, you can be like, should we do this? Should we do this? And in a movie, I was just like, oh yeah, no, it's a it's a singular vision that just has to get done. Now we can collaborate ahead of time, and we'll take that. But on the day and all that, no, no, no we're not doing that. It's it's a so it was just a much different piece. But I enjoyed it because you got to I got to do things cinematically that like obviously insecure. You know, you can. Insecure has a sandbox and you can kind of go a little bit outside of that to try stuff, but you still have to, it's a show every week. You have to kind of play within the same thing, which, you know, we obviously tried to continue just to elevate, but on a movie, I could just be like, oh, I'm not shooting coverage. I'm just shooting this as a one, or I'm shooting this this way, or I'm like going to shoot this in silhouette or do these things that like normally I don't get a chance to like play with cinematically and try. Um, and so I got to do that. But what I learned on Insecure too was like how to take something that's small and making it feel cinematic because that was always my challenge on Uncorked was like, mm -hmm. how do I make this little movie about like wine and barbecue in like Memphis, Tennessee, just feel bigger than what it is, um, you know? So, and so that was what I, a lot of things I learned there, I did get to apply um, and, and take more chances, mm -hmm. right? So that was my thing was like, I was like, I'm going to take, yeah. I don't know if I'll get another movie. So I'm going to take the most chances I want to take and let it be very me. Um, whereas like, like you said, Insecure, even though I'm running the show, it's still in the voice of the show. Um, and this was my first thing. They'd be like, it doesn't have to be in the voice of the show or any other person's voice but mine. So that was a big driver of like, I'm going to just leave it all on the table in terms of that. And I've been really surprised at like how much that movie has yielded uh, opportunities of like directing more 
because it's not that's a great. it's not a movie that you would say on its face is like, oh, that's like a, you know, <laughs> oh, that's a thing. Right. It's not flashy yeah, in the way like you expect the, it to. Like you're not. It doesn't yeah. have all the things that like white people like in black movies critically you know it's like there's no pain there's no trauma there's no <laughs> there's, there's you know it's just a slice of life it was like we when, when i was like modeling yeah. the movie i was like it should feel like very like ladybird various like slice like this is a tuesday for this family this is like this isn't a very special day it's just like a regular slice of life day you know like manchester by the sea and things like that yeah, and I but I think that's what people are responding yeah, to. It's it, like it, you yeah. you knew what you wanted yeah. this to be, and you executed that, yeah. and in a really deft way. And like this is a guy who executed his vision. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, and it's all it's also it goes down really easy. It's such a good movie. <laughs> it's like you. such a it's you know it has all the stuff we want yeah. of life. <laughs> yeah. And you have um, great actors. And I imagine and great actors. Yeah. So it's oh, absolutely. Easy. Um, and I imagine you know the opportunities coming out of that, coming out of Insecure, like you're getting to chase the same thing that led you to insecure in the first place, which Absolutely. is like getting to have fun, getting to try stuff, yep. getting to work with good people. Yep. It's been all that, all this stuff has been, you know, I was at first it was interesting because I was like, Oh my God, am I going to get like, here's a slave movie now. Like we're get <laughs> queue up, <laughs> queue up that. And it really hasn't, I really gotten like one of those, uh, but most of them, <laughs> but most of them have been really like, cool things or cool ideas and it's just like figuring out like okay what's the right one that like fits into the time frame and i wrote a movie for netflix that's like a christmas movie kind of like in the vein of like the santa claus and elf because i was like black people never get to have like magical like magic in their christmas movies it's always like a family somebody's getting hit with a frying pan at christmas <laughs> so like white people get to be elf and, the, and santa so i wanted to write something that was like super magical so hopefully we'll know soon uh if that's going forward but uh but yeah oh yeah. good yeah i feel i feel like i read you talking about that uh movie and i was like oh my god i've gotta see yeah, this. yeah it's, <laughs> this it's super funny great. it's super funny so i'm i'm hopefully nice. we well, good luck um meantime um Season five of Insecure, I think as people are hearing this, will be out now. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't, if for some reason someone hasn't watched the show, what are you waiting for? Now you can binge all five seasons. Go yeah, it's watch a perfect it. time. It's so it's good. It's the perfect time. That, that's when I hopped in on Game of Thrones. I didn't watch Game of Thrones in the last season. I was yeah. like, now I'm just watch. I did Breaking Bad the same way. I was like, I felt like there was a window where I was like, season three or four Game of Thrones, where I was like, should I start? And I was just like, I don't know what's going I was like, I gotta go. So I did. I just said, I'm gonna just wait <laughs> to the end, and I then I watched the whole. And it was fun because then I got to watch like five episodes in a night. You know, I could just right. go for it. Exactly. And I, so I watched all the Game of Thrones in like two weeks. <laughs> oh, good God! That'll mess you up. Um, what are you watching these days? What's getting you excited? What's getting you inspired? What are you talking about with your family, with your friends? With my friends, Succession for sure. For sure. That's like my show. Uh, I, I love that show uh, so much. I'm uh, I've got, I'm sure by the time this airs, I will have watched Squid Game. I just want like, I just want people to calm down <laughs> a little bit first before I like hop in. <laughs> There's a lot of Squid Game stuff. That's fair. So I was like, all right, calm, let's, let's reel it in. But, um, but Succession for sure. Absolutely. So yeah. good. And the way they That's play with one. tone is just so funny, so serious, so great. So great performances. Yeah. Um, are there things, you know, as you're, you're working on a bunch of different projects, are there like movies and TV shows and things that you go back to, to as sort of touchstones, um, either to inspire upcoming stuff or just to like remind you why you love doing this? For sure. And I, I think sometimes it depends on what the thing is, right? So mm -hmm. like, um, like I'm working on a movie right now in like Moonlight and the social network, I've been watching like a ton of them, a ton of it again for different reasons. For Moonlight, I watch it for the simplicity of like needing less to say, like the realness of that movie and like letting things exist in the quiet is a, is there are things in that movie that, that the movie I'm writing that resonate with that. And then social network, just in the way that dialogue is so, when the dialogue does kick in, it's very, um just so sharp and like kind of quick and and they're so i'm watching sometimes for that just for the like 
the the way the world is created, which is so specific. Um, so I've watched Social Network like two or three times again, and I've watched Moonlight like five times. Um, so those, oh those God. but those for those specific movies, because sometimes I'm like, oh, how yeah. do I do this? Because the movie I'm writing is like about like horses in Compton. And so there's all kinds of like, not and also like not wanting to write the tropey version, right? Of like mm-hmm. um, the things you expect. So the movie has a lot of things it's trying to get around by basis of like what you expect in those movies to happen. So it's like that. So it's like those movies are things that I feel like in Moonlight, like even killing Marshall Ali's character for this, for the second and third act is like so smart to just allude to him who died. Hmm. But, and, and cause he's only in the first 30 minutes of the movie. That's how, but he's amazing. But I just like, Oh, they just made, they just made the world continue. Uh, cause I have a time jump as well. So I was like, Oh, I love how they just like continue the world on things have changed and you just can get how from A to B, how this happened in the time you missed. Yeah. Um, and especially obviously when he goes from being, you know, Ashton to, to being, you know, Electrovante and he's much bigger and, you know, you can extrapolate how he got there too. So yeah. So those are the two movies I'm like really going back to a lot right now. That makes sense. And I love, and I think we, you know, this comes up a lot on the show is like, we take from this stuff. We yeah. get inspired from this stuff. We look at how the mechanics of it work yeah. and then it goes through our filter exactly. and becomes, you know, our own thing, yep. our own script. Um, yep. That sounds great. I can't wait to see what's up. Um, Prentice, thanks so much for chatting. Uh, come back anytime. Absolutely. Thank you. Happy to be here. I hope I didn't suck too much. So I hope it was worth it. <laughs> come on. <laughs> no, that was great. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.